This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along. So this show originally aired in 2005 to 2007 in Colorado Springs, and it was me and two other guys. One was Jason Graves. He had his own practice helping people with sexual addiction, and the other was Rob McIntyre, and both of these guys were strong believers and fighters and warriors, and Jason, I believe, is no longer involved in this counseling arena, but Rob is, and Rob is a former police officer, and he's the director of Freedom to Live Counseling in Colorado Springs. So, Rob, my good friend, welcome back to the program. Hey, Mike. It's good to hear from you and hear your voice. Gosh, it's been a long time, huh? Yeah, it has, like 15 years. I know, right? It's crazy. So let's begin and just have you share your story. You've got a powerful story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, one of the questions, how much time do I have? It's a 26-minute program, so around 15 <laughs> minutes. Okay, all right. Well, so, you know, um, we all start with our family of origin, um, and so, you know, obviously that's where my life started, and, um, you know, I think my parents, like most parents, wanted to do a good job uh, being parents. I came from a Catholic home. Um, you know, early sixties, I was one of six kids, number five, uh, I had four brothers and one sister. And by the time I was six, my dad and my mom were divorced. And, um, there were a lot of things that led to that. Uh, but as far as a child growing up in that, that, uh, environment, you know, you can only imagine the, you know, the fear and, and just the chaos that was our home. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, my mom had issues with sex addiction, but I wasn't aware of that at the time. But I, I remember as a little boy growing up in a home where, you know, we were living in a middle class neighborhood in, in San Jose, California. But um, she, uh, you know, we, we were living below the poverty level. And, and I remember being on welfare. So there was just there's numerous things. But I was because I was younger, I watched my siblings. And I watched what they did, and I watched what they uh, shouldn't do. And I, I remember as a boy, by the time I was eight, remember thinking to myself that I never want to hurt my mom, and I want to uh, eat all my lunch. I have no idea why mm. eating all my lunch was such an important thing. But, you know, just as a little boy, I wanted to be a good kid. And so, you know, I kind of grew up in that, and the, the homeless chaos again, and you know, some of my older siblings got into drugs and alcohol. Uh, my sister got pregnant when she was 13 and got married when she was 14, uh, which 
Um, and, and, you know, again, numerous, uh, male people in our home as far as my mom's boyfriends. And she, she was also married a couple of times when I was a kid growing up. And, um, and, and by the time I was 12, I ended up, uh, one of my brothers got saved. He, he watched, uh, Thief in the Night at a church. And, and so he invited me to go watch it. And I was 12 and scared the hell out of me. Hopefully I can say that word on the radio, but it, uh, it, it, you know, I, I accepted Christ. I gave my heart to the Lord and and I really meant it. I meant it as much as I could uh, understand. And so, you know, that began my spiritual journey and I started to see my home transformed, started to have some hope, even though as a little boy, I, I didn't really have a lot to look forward to other than my ability to dream and draw. I, I used to draw a lot and dream a lot about what my life was going to look like. And uh, so I got into junior high, and then I went on this trip with my dad sailing. Um, so my dad always had a dream. My dad attended Annapolis, and he wasn't able to finish because he contracted polio. But um, his dream was to take some of us kids on a trip to um, the East Coast and sail in a small sailboat down the East Coast to Thomas and then through Panama and then up the West Coast. So we did that. I was uh, just turned 13. He he bought a 27-foot sailboat, and so we did that. We sailed all the way down to Florida, and but he didn't anticipate the cost, and so the trip got delayed. So I decided to take a bus to go back home and so from Florida to San Jose, California, it was a five-day bus trip. And I went with my younger brother, Doug. So I was the oldest one on this trip. And we, we traversed the country really well and um, stayed safe. But when I got into San Jose, I was abducted by a sexual predator. And, you know, there was, there was a knife and I was beat and I was sexually abused. And I just remember in that moment, you know, I thought back knowing that I was going to talk to you about that and try to recall some of my memories of that. And I, and I just remember that um, I was surprised. I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And I, I think I understood the gravity of what was happening. You know, this, I could, that he could kill me. It was, it, you know, sexual predators weren't really that well known back in the late seventies. Um, but I kind of knew the risk you know, because I had to do what he wanted me to do. And so I remember at one point being in the, the ceiling of where we were um, spiritually and emotionally separate from my body. It was really weird. I disassociated. And, um, and I remember just praying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you with my life. And, and, you know, circumstances were he got what he wanted out of me. I was able to ultimately get away safely. He subsequently got arrested. And, um, and so that started this crazy journey of experiencing the darkness of this world. You know, prior to that, I think I had kept myself pretty much in a bubble. Mm. And, um, how did you get away? I just basically, you know, I, I became, um, compliant and ultimately just said I wouldn't tell anybody. And he let me go. Hmm. So 
and I guess I was believable enough because because there is there's some other story to him, and I'll, I'll might as well just tell you guys that is that um, when I was 18, so fast forward to 18, I was contacted by the district attorney out of another county, and they had just passed a law <clears throat> that basically says that previous cases could be used to show the intent of a criminal. And so they called me and they said, hey, would you be willing to testify? Because another kid, like you, was abducted, and he was, he was almost beat to death by the same guy. He was out on parole. So I remember going up to the county, sitting in the courtroom. They they asked me to tell my story, and I remember I can't. I, I, all I felt was sick to my stomach. And I should let you guys know, my mom didn't know what to do because she had her own trauma. So she never got me counseling. So basically I just covered it all up as I grew up in my teenage years. So I'm sitting there in the witness stand and they're asking me what happened. And I, I couldn't even express it. Mm. Um, I had no, had no clue, you know? And so then they put the report in front of me and they say, Hey, can you read this? And I remember reading it, you know, wanting to vomit basically. And so I got through it, but, you know, I knew my heart was in the right place. You know, I wanted to do the right thing, but man, I didn't realize how much trauma I was carrying. And then again, fast forward to when I think I was 23, 24, by this time now I'm married and I'm a cop and I'm working in the jail in San Jose, California. And sure enough, the inmates are coming through the jail and I'm directing them to their cells. And sure enough, standing in front of me is this guy. The guy abducted me. Wow. And I remember looking at his class card. It was a card with a photo and his charges. And I remember I was looking down at him. And, and you know, I did my job. And I went home that night and I told my wife, I said, hey, um, you'll never believe who I saw at work today. So I told her and she goes, you didn't kill him? <laughs> I go, no. And she said this was the moment she knew I had major issues. I go, I felt nothing. And it was true. I felt nothing. I had so compartmentalized this that I, you know, that I, I was just disconnected from that part of who I was. And, and, you know, so I look back at my, my high school, I just pursued things that, um, I did well, you know, I was good in school. I was a good artist. I was a good athlete. I actually figured, you know, I could sing. And so, and on top of that, the girls kind of found me attractive. And so that's the way I basically, you know, tried to survive. And, you know, I, I did my best to get close to God, but, you know, there was always that part of who I was in my soul that was locked, you know, he was locked out because that was, you know, part that I didn't know how to let him in. So, so I become a cop, I get married, and um, and so in law enforcement, it's, you know, you're, you're exposed to everything. You know, there's really not much you're not exposed to. And I, and I began to realize, because I, I stayed uh, celibate and only had sex with my wife, right? So I stayed celibate until I got married. But I struggled. I mean, I struggled with you know, porn off and on again and, and masturbation. And so, you know, there, I knew there was a struggle there, um, but it didn't look like, you know, something major. But then when I got married and then I was in law enforcement, it was like, 
this voracious draw. And I found myself over time, you know, five years into my marriage, several years into law enforcement, where I ended up crossing the line with another female deputy. And this began, you know, my journey of being, you know, living two lives, being the Christian guy at home, being the Christian guy in most areas, and then having this secret life. And it was, you know, it was, it was a type of hell. It really was very difficult. Um, and I hated it, but then there's a part of me that loved it. And I didn't know how to stop. Or I didn't want to really consider the way to stop, which was to confess. And, you know, so, so I, this went on for many years. Um, there's multiple partners. By the time I was 36, I had gotten into working narcotics. I worked for a DEA task force. I worked undercover. I'd done a bunch of different jobs, you know, high adrenaline, high stress, and had these periodic acting out stents. Um, and, and again, my wife, you know, had, had no idea. And, and so at one point I ended up getting injured during a drug raid and uh, I had to have life-saving surgery on my spinal cord. And after the surgery, I ended up telling my wife sometime after, told her what, what I had done. Because by this time, I was my career was over. And um, it was like a perfect storm. It was really, I, I look back at it and I can see how God really used that those storms to bring me to a place of healing. Because I needed that degree of pressure to kind of destroy the bunker that I had in my soul. And uh, it was interesting. One time I had to go see a therapist when I was a cop because one of the guys I worked with got killed. Mm. And and I remember sitting in the therapist's office. I think it was my late 20s. And and I told her. I told her I was being unfaithful. I, I don't know why I told her. I wouldn't tell anybody else. But I told her. And and she she said something to me that now I know is not a compliment. I thought it was a compliment at the time. <laughs> she said to me, she goes, well, you're very functional, you know? <laughs> and and I, I didn't realize that was not a compliment, mm. you know? So I've been able to maintain this life. And I, and I really think that's why I was so good undercover because I, I knew how to separate my emotions and, you know, I had enough, of the ability to keep things separate and be be fake, if you will. So, so then things start falling apart with my wife. I'm no longer in law enforcement, and we had some friends who knew of Dr. Doug Weiss in Colorado, and so we went out and saw him. and And for the first time, you know, my struggle made sense. It it didn't make sense to me prior. Before, it just looked like sin. Before, it just looked like I'm a bad guy. But <clears throat> he kind of laid it out in a way that it made a lot of sense. And I remember going, this is, this is my transition. This is my hope. This is my opportunity. You know, my pain is going to become my purpose, and my purpose is going to become my passion. And, and, you know, I was really excited. But, of course, there was a lot of healing that needed to be done in my marriage. One of the things I've noticed, you know, helping other couples is that, you know, at the point of disclosure, 
you know, when you're dealing with sex addiction and the addict discloses, the 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 partner's usually six months behind, you know, because they're for the first time usually hearing about the infidelity. And so I didn't really appreciate was how all this was just destroying my wife's perception of what was real, you know? Mm. And so for me, it was really, um, it was amazing because I felt like, you know, now I'm being honest. Now I'm, I'm hopeful. Now I know how to proceed. You know, now I don't have to be this guy, but now I'm looking at the bomb that got off and that bomb was because of me. And so, uh, man, it was, it was quite the experience. It was a desert experience for the, at least, you know, and, and I, and I remember learning how, how to create support environments, accountability. That's, that's around the time where I met you and Jason, um, within those first five years of this. Hmm. And what was interesting is I also, um, started helping groups out at heart to heart counseling. And I had, you know, just finished my bachelor's in psychology and was working on my master's in education. And uh, I had uh, several people come up to me and say, hey, you should be a therapist. So by about four years into this process, I became a therapist. Well, come to the fifth year of this healing with my wife, well, she then ended up just kind of going off the rails herself. Um, she ended up having one affair I know about. I think there's several others and she started drinking and that's when I had to step away from the show because I felt like the radio show, I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't be the guy I wanted to be on the radio with all this going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like, um, I almost felt like a hypocrite, you know, not, not that I had relapsed, but I was dealing with so much, uh, devastation. I I just didn't know how to do that and be okay. Because that was one of the things that God was doing in me is making me congruent because I was been so incongruent my whole life. Mm. You know, so one of the things I needed to be was authentic and whole. And by acting like I didn't know how to present this over the radio authentically without bringing everybody down, you know? And so that I, I just I just wanted to tell you that I don't know if I ever explained to you why I stepped away, but that was basically it. Mm. Um, I just couldn't maintain that. And so, you know, unfortunately, after about two years of separation, you know, we kind of called it the marriage was over. And so we got divorced. And man, that was I, I mean, I can I can say out of all the difficult things I've experienced in my life, that was probably the most devastating because it was just a dream. My dream was restoration. My dream was reconciliation. My dream was giving God glory for this amazing, you know, life change. And um, it wasn't to be. And, you know, so I, I just went on as a single guy working to restore other people's hearts. And I found that in my brokenness and in my pain and staying sober and working through the hard stuff, you know, God really showed up. He really taught me things that I didn't, I couldn't learn in other situations. And then I met my wife and that was, 
that was almost unbelievable for me because I think I got to a point where I literally thought I was disqualified. I remember going on a retreat with uh, with John Eldridge, and, and one of the things he said is he said, you know, go on a hike and ask God who he says you are. Mm. And I and I was at this moment where I felt pathetic, you know. I was thinking, man, I used to be a warrior. I used to be a, a narcotics detective. I was task force, blah, 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 right? And now here I am. My marriage is done, and I can't even, I don't have the same physical prowess, you know. I'm barely even a therapist. I mean, it was really like, Eeyore, you know, woe is me. And I remember going on this hike and, and God spoke to me and he, he shocked me with what he said. Mm. He says, you're a warrior. And I, and I said, what? <laughs> I remember going, what? A warrior? You're a warrior. And I mean, I held on to that. Like my life depended on it. Mm. And, and, uh, and I, I think there's some other times where I was, you know, struggling with my thoughts. And I remember one was, you're disqualified. You know, I thought by being divorced, I was disqualified. And I remember hearing God say, no, disqualifies you. And so those two things have been things that I've just held on to. And I met Danielle. And I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, literally, God has used her to awaken my soul. Mm. Um, I, it, it, it's just because of who she is that God has given me the ability to experience passion, love, authenticity, intimacy, all the things that I never experienced in my own home life, all the things I was chasing for in my addiction, I think. On top of that, I ended up um, adopting. She was a single mom. She had been saved a couple of years, and I ended up adopting um, her son, who's now my son, and he's now graduating from high school, and he's going to be going to GCU next next uh, fall. So I may be coming down there to see you. Well, um, well let's have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, but he's an extraordinary young man, and my eldest son, Robbie, is a worship pastor. So, so I mean, it, it's been a hard journey, and getting married, what, married wasn't easy. We've been married over 15 years now. Um but I've continued to stay working in this field and, and God's continued to lead me. And um, I really trust God's organic way of networking. You know, I used to try to be a hard charger and market, which there's nothing wrong with marketing, but I just realized God's got a better plan. He's got a better way. And, and I've just seen his plans come to fruition. And currently um, he's helped me work through my anger towards law enforcement, um, you know, because I was... Rob, Rob, we got about a minute and a half left, and I want to say two things. First, the guy I knew, you, back in 2005, you were a warrior, and I saw that in you from your core and your heart. So I would just... I agree with God is what I'm saying. You were a fighter back then, and mm. so with... The 60 seconds we have left, how did you heal from all that trauma? Yeah, it, so, it, you know, there's, there's practical things, right? There's therapeutic things, um, and there's processes, right? Grieving is the only way to heal from emotional abuse and trauma. If you don't grieve, you are dooming yourself to be an addict, quite frankly. Um, and connecting. 
So it again, it wasn't just therapy, uh, but a lot of it was therapy. A lot of it was the process of recovery, you know, boundaries, consequences, accountability. But I would just say it was this ongoing relationship with God, mm. other men, and my wife and my children. Mm. And and it's those connections and those relationships. If we've learned anything from COVID, we are wired to connect. We need relationship. We need intimacy. And and it continues to be my journey. I'm, I mean, I'd love to say I'm there, but I'm not there yet, you know. So I'll continue to do this journey. And serving people. I love serving people. My favorite thing to do. My friend, it's been great to hear your voice and to talk to you again. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.